The following program features language some listeners may find offensive. Listener discretion is advised. You are listening to Hip Hop Cymru Wales, a podcast exploring the trails and untold tales of Welsh hip hop. My name is Luke Bailey and I'm a podcaster, best known for the Fly Fidelity podcast. And I'm talking to key players about the notable and nuanced evolution of Welsh hip hop history. Welcome to the program. On this episode, we're joined for two back-to-back conversations exploring two generations of new bridge breaking. Lee Davis and Tommy Boost are this week's guests. I'm Lee Davis. I'm from Newbridge in South Wales. Uh, the first time I ever seen uh, break in was, I think it was 1981, maybe. I, I think um, my friend's cousin came over from New York. Uh, his name was Joel Fent, and he came from Westchester Avenue in New York, um, and he. He was in a bit of gang trouble out there, so he came over to London to stay in uh, Islington with his uncle there, but then he got into a bit of trouble there, so got sent to Wales out of the way, and he he was teaching us, um, it literally at the time was only um, rocking and footwork, you know, uh, that was a long time before we seen anybody else do it. I would imagine it was 81. Um, so that was my friend Richard Molnow. Uh, later then, we met up with um, Darren Powell in, that would have been 82. He was also from Newbridge, but he, because he went to the Welsh School, we didn't actually know him. So he he was breaking as well then, by then. Uh, and then we met up with uh, Paul Shepherd, who was balls uh, by Paul, he goes by now. He's a graffiti artist now. That's um, right. So that would have been 1982, I would imagine, that we first got together as a crew. Uh, we just used to train locally, didn't know anyone else had done it. Then we went to Newport to go to Maskell's. That would have been a 83, I would have thought. I can't remember. I genuinely can't remember. 83, I would have thought that would have been Maskell's 83 to 85, was it? 
I know it had closed before UK Fresh. So, but when we got there, I met my cousin who was in the Cumbran crew, Carlton. So he was in with um, Maya, Buzz, Geordie, all them, the crazy crew from Cumbran. So I didn't even know my cousin did it. Then we mm. met like Andre and, and that from Newport. Uh, have you met Andre? I haven't. No, Andre is, um, he used to DJ, but he was probably the best B-boy in Maskell's at the time. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, he's, he used to DJ at Maskell's. Uh, I'm trying to think, well, he's a, he works with, um, no, he works with Newport City Council on like youth programs now. Um, I'll, I, I gave you a contact number for Henri, someone really you should talk to about the history of it in Wales as well. What was his DJ name back then? I generally, I only knew him as Andre. If you know, it was before we, we used to know people by their names and we used to know the crews by where they came from. So like Fordian, I was called the Cardiff Crew West. We didn't know their crew name. It's way before, um, like, you used to have, like, B-boy names. And it was before that, if you know what I mean, as far as we yeah. we knew, it was. Um, so I, I knew Fordy. He used to go to mass schools. What was your relationship with Fordy back then? Um, battled him a few times. <laughs> oh, really? How did that go uh, down? Cardiff used to come and think they was like the kiddies. <laughs> um, but I genuinely, I think Newport was probably the biggest place for hip hop. It wasn't even called hip hop back then, mind. It was before it was called hip hop. Hip hop didn't come till after the name. I, like people say it was Bambata, but at the time, back in the days, I heard it was Lovebug Starsky gave the name to hip hop. But I, you know, I don't know. I've talked to like Abby and that from the Bronx Boys, and like they all got different <laughs> things of how it came about. I I don't know the, the true history of sure. it. Way sure. back then, we took it. It, it was Lovebug Starsky gave the name to hip hop, not Bambata. Interesting. Let's talk about Mascos for a second. Let's back up and talk about Mascos atmospherically. It's always been described as the Roxy in terms of the vibe and the energy that breathed between those four walls. Would you say that was an accurate comparison? I would say in in Wales, it was the only place to go. Um, you know, like like Wolverhampton B Boys came there. Um, I'm trying to think, what other crews came? We like. Um, do you know the B Boys from Wolverhampton? Them and Broken Glass were on stage at UK Fresh, but they'd already been to Maskell's before that. So, like, um, we knew um, Bubbles, Hanifa, uh, you know, we knew people from up north. Uh, to be honest, the north was the powerhouse of breaking, no matter what the London had say. You know, Dolby and I was good, but the north was where it was at at the time. Uh Trying to think who else came. We, you'd have um, Swindon would come. 
Cardiff would come. Every, everyone went to, to Maskell's. You know, and they used to travel from all around the country to go there. Amazing. So it was very much the matter of breaking at that time. In Wales, definitely, yeah. We, right. You know, we used to travel down on the the bus down to Maskell's. Um, and we would meet up with the Brimmel crew, the Abadaliri crew, on the bus going down. And to be fair, it wasn't even just Maskell's because in the... They used to call it the underground. It was underneath the Kingsway Centre. Ah. A, a car park in it, not a car park, a loading bay area for the for the lorries, for the shops. And right. that was all graphed out. It's still there now. It was all graphed out. Nice. Um, and used to access it by like jumping over a fence and cutting down through like a culvert. Hmm. So and that's where everybody went before Maskell's and after Maskell's. So it wasn't just Maskell's, Newport, they had the, the graffiti at the time around the old cattle market that's gone now. Um, that was like where people used to go to, to paint. Um, so I would think Newport was the mecca for, for B-boys in Wales at the time. What is it that sticks out most about the passion, the moves and the skills during those years, in your opinion? Um, it was, I, to be fair, I think it was more about um, comradeship and it, it wasn't about the, just about the dance. Obviously it was about the dance, but it was about, you met people from everywhere, from all backgrounds. Mm. It, it was, and to be fair, I talked to Morgan Khan about it, I think. It came from New York, which was deprived at the time in the seventies. And if you look at all the all the places in Britain where it was big, like Glasgow, um, Nottingham, Manchester, Liverpool, London, they were all deprived areas. It's where like the years of Thatcher had, had wrecked everything. So South Wales was the same. So it was more to do with like we didn't have nothing. That's all you had. Right. There was nothing else. What was life like like for you growing up back then, socially? To be fair, I was quite like I was quite lucky because my father didn't work down the mines. He wasn't on strike for a year and all that lot. We were okay, but all my friends, every everyone around you was. So it was like a really deprived area in the valleys at the time. Um mm. Yeah, it was. It wasn't very good, to be honest. But everybody was the same. But everybody was in the same boat, and everybody, everybody you knew was in the same boat. There was no, there was no abs and have not saying. It was everybody had not. So yeah. I think that's why the the culture of hip hop took off so so much in those areas because. We reflected where we, where it came from as well. Our our social standing was exactly the same as those from the Bronx in New York. We were the downtrodden ones, not just us mm. in the in the valleys. I mean, when you look at up north, all of mining communities up there, you had the the factory shut, mm. the docks in Glasgow, everywhere where which had a big hip hop scene, 
was a rundown, socially deprived area. Yeah. You mentioned your friends. Let's talk about the crews, the kinships and alternate families back then, which, you know, have always been prevalent in hip hop and breaking. What's the origin story behind the crew, behind your crew, Electric Footwork? Well, we we started because, like I say, Joe, me and my best friend, Richie, his cousin came over from New York, so we, we were all ready to it. We couldn't do no moves or nothing. It was just um, top rock footwork. That was it. You know, it was, it, it was, that's what it was. It, you know, I don't even know if Crazy Legs had done the blinking continuous backspin by then. You know what I mean? But we used to get the music sent over. His nan used to send the tapes over for us. So we had all the red alert tapes and that. Nice. You know, they used to come direct. So we had them a long time before most people. So it was just like a family connection he had with New York. That's how we got into it. And then obviously we met up with Darren um, and he was already doing it by the, I don't know how he got into it, to be fair. I haven't got a clue. <laughs> he, but he, he lived in the same village, a village of like 4,000 people. And you had someone else who was listening listening and dancing to the same music from the other side of the world. It was mm. unbelievable. But Amazing. then we had we had the punk club where the DJ, um, Kerry, was, he's the first time I'd ever heard hip-hop played in a club was in the punk club by Kerry. So you think he was playing um, Bambata before he was playing Arrow, hot, hot, hot. So you, you're going back, way back. He was playing it right at the start when it was still all on import. You know, you had to go up to Groove Records in Soho to get to yeah. get anything. You know, you you were more like like we was too young. We used to go up and tape Kiss FM and stuff like that. We, you know, we'd get on the bus. We travelled to London. We'd stay at Richie's uncle's in. Um, Islington, and then we'd just record Kiss FM, Richie Rich on Kiss FM, or you know, yeah. what was it, Mike Allen on right. Capital. But we'd go more for the the pirate radio stations because they played better stuff. Yeah. And you later on, you would get John Peel because his son was into it. He would play one track a night, so we yeah. would together one track, you know. Oh, God. And he played like mostly UK hip hop, if I remember, like Cookie Crew and stuff like that. So that's how you 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 couldn't get it, you couldn't buy it. You had to physically travel to tape it. So, what would be an example of a record or an artist that would be guaranteed to maintain a vibe and hype during a practice session for you back then? You'd have um, Boogie Down Bronx, Man Parish. Um, that that was like a classic around then. You would have, um, but th to be fair, most of the tapes, like I say, the tapes were like DJ Red Alert playing mixes because there were no artists putting it down on vinyl before that. So it was all mixtapes, if you know what I mean. 
that we listen to. Yeah. So it could be anything from like Apache to wherever, you know, it was mostly funk at the time, but mixed. Later on, it became everyone was listening to the electros and stuff. You know, the street sounds of the electros. Mm, mm. So um, it, we started listening to breaks and then we probably went on to listening to electros and then like um, radio come out, uh, Cool J and stuff like that. You know, then we started listening to hip hop, hip hop. You know what I mean? We went we went from funk to listening to purely hip hop. Where were you typically training back then, and what were you using to cover the floors with? Right, we trained underneath the school. The caretaker was a lovely man, Mister Peacock, and he used to let us. He used to leave a window open for us to plug our stereos in on an extension lead, and underneath the school was a big is um, Pantside Junior School. It was uh, just a concrete floor and we varnished it and that's where we trained, isn't it? On a, on a, on a, in a basement on a concrete floor. So that's where we trained every day, day in, day out, summer and winter. Interesting. Interesting. And about your style, what what was your style like in those earliest days of identity and distinction? For anybody who hasn't seen Crazy LD dance, how would you classify what you did back then? We started mostly footwork, but then it 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 was all power. Then after, wasn't it? it was like you know, windmills, bum stand spins stuff. It was all about power at the time in the eighties. We didn't. It wasn't as defined as it is now it wasn't as refined to be fair what well, it probably was in new york but it wasn't here everyone just did power and it was you know to be fair it did go like too much for just purely power you know you, you had the foundations three steps six steps you know mm. you you do all that but it was always just the battles were always just about power at the time and what were you learning from your crew um, to be fair, um, Shep was a really good artist, so we used to go like painting with him as well, and he was teaching us like a lot about the art, and um, we did a lot of like pause button mixes back in the day because like nice. we didn't even have a record player. <laughs> That's what you did back then. But but you know then we got decks in eighty right. six we had decks so which decks which decks did you have oh it was like an old disco console we got a second hand disco console it wasn't like it wasn't Technics or nothing like that it was to be fair the first decks we ever had was two sets of fidelities running through a mixer that we made up a old TV parts from the Ready Fusion shop. 
I and love that. Get, you know, that's but that's what you did. Uh, mixes, mixes weren't mixes weren't really. You couldn't go and buy a mixer. You know, we that they didn't exist around here. Yeah. So so we we would make like our our crossfader was a volume slider off an old Ready Fusion black and white telly. That's what it was. It's it's just you know, like and to be fair, like Richard's brother Len would probably help us build the stuff because he was more he was more into the music side of it, if you know what I mean. Sure. So he he was in a a, a band at the time, and then he was yeah, well, he was in a ska band before. Mm. Uh, then he was into producing, so he he like he worked with Jamie. Do you know Jamie Winchester? Absolutely. Yeah, so he, he worked with Jamie. He had a studio with Jamie in Pontypool in the early 90s, I would have thought. And I used to go with him down to Eric's in Cardiff, um, in Splot. Oh, what's his name, Eric? I think it was his name. What's his daughter's name? Oh, oh God. She's, um, she does the... What's the dance people from Cardiff? The hip-hop dance crew. Um... L'Oreal? No, L'Oreal. No, no, I'm trying to think of her name. It was her father anyway, and, like, I bumped into him then in um, the carnival in Cardiff, like, years later. And he remembered we used to go down, I used to take my, I, I had an old Atari then, STFM, to, and, like, because I had Cubase and he didn't have it. So we used to take it down in mainland, used to travel down there to do the old MIDI and uh yeah. What so, year is this? Oh, I would say nine ninety, was it? I don't know. I genuinely don't know. Might have been later, might have been earlier. Yeah. No, it wouldn't have been earlier than ninety, I don't think. Because I, I I what would I have had? I wouldn't have had an STFM man. Um I genuinely don't know, but it was like that was the go-to music computer at the time because it ran MIDI, didn't it? Um, and you used to have to have a hacked version of Cubase if you didn't have a, a iRes monitor, which no one could afford. So you used to have to get a, a hacked version of Cubase back then. And, you know, I used to take it down there and we used, like, so... You met people from everywhere and all over, if you know what I mean, just through the music, the scene, the dance. You know, we yeah. used to meet up with people from Merthyr, the Tafia Mafia from Merthyr, and go to the what, what, funk week all weekend. The funk weekend is up in press starting because they would have a hip hop room. So we we would we would go up there. They was all into funk and soul and northern soul, and, and we would be going just to see the hip hop. Swansea used to have Martha's, so you, you knew a lot of people from Swansea. You'd go to Swindon, um, and London. You know, we we travelled mostly to London. So I knew, like, Sidewalk Dolby and, and all them in London at the time. We used to go travel down to see um, 
like Richie Rich and we went to see him in Peckham uh, just after the riots. And wow. like it was, it was like crazy because it was the only place there that wasn't burnt out. If you know what I mean, it was, it was like strange stuff like that. We, you know, and then like my cousin, then my other, a different cousin, Gary Mayo, he used to DJ at the Welsh Club as well, but he got into it, Bob. So we used to travel and we did the Def Jam tour, me him, and Richie Mall, Richie Mall. Now we followed the Def Jam tour around. So we'd done wow. Amersmith, Brixton. Then we went up and went to the Odeon in Birmingham. And the only one we didn't go to was the one in Newport. <laughs> Which oh, is crazy, isn't it? It's like, because we'd already seen them about eight times by then. You know, we, when, when you say you'd already saw them about eight times at that point, are you talking about BC Boys and Run DMC specifically? Yeah, and Cool J, yeah. On the right. tour, because we followed the tour around. So, you know, we'd already seen them. Obviously, we'd seen other others before that, like at UK Fresh now. But when they did the first Def Jam tour with the Beastie Boys, we followed that. We went like from city to city watching them. How was that as a breaker experiencing those different cities and environments? Well, <laughs> um, it, it we, we knew a lot of the people, so it, it wasn't anything really for us because a lot of them had came to Newport so we'd seen them before they were they were on a different level to us mind at the time they were like totally a different level up north Manchester Nottingham was like way ahead of us at the time way ahead of London as well you know it was they were scary but you knew them so it wasn't really scary if you know what I mean You'd already seen them, so you know there was no thing. And like to be fair, they were all friendly. All this stuff, none of that aggro came in until the casuals came out and stuff. It, it before that, everyone was friendly. They wouldn't teach you anything because it was their crew's moves, but they would talk to you and be nice to you. <coughs> you know, they wouldn't. They, they were. You'd have beef on the battle in, in a battle, but then you'd be friends after. It wasn't, none of the aggro came in until like the casuals and the football hooliganism and that. It, that's when that, when it got, you couldn't go from city to city. At the start, you could go anywhere. I was talking to Boost, who had told me that when he and his crew, H2O, came out of Wales for the first time, they never had any modern influences. And the moves they were doing back then were 80s moves, as influenced by your training. I was curious as to what kind of impact moves from the 90s and noughties had on your style post-80s yourself. To be fair, we actually knew most of what was going around because Darren Powell... When he lived in Newbridge, he was in our crew. Then he went, he moved to Portsmouth and he, he went in with second to none. So we would go down there and see him. And like, so you, you knew, you knew the, what, what was out there because they were the best crew in, in Britain. So there was no one as good as them. So we actually knew, but we couldn't actually teach it to 
I couldn't teach it to boost because, like, I hadn't been active for like ten years, if you know what I mean. Mm, mm. So I could only teach it more. I could really still do. So like, I I think, like, it would have been babies, would have been baby mills, would have been the last thing, if you know what I mean. The the most modern thing I could teach him. But like, obviously, like. Adam and I used to come up, Adam, John and I from Seconds and used to come up to training sessions with the kids. So they they got to see them and they were still by far and away the best people. And we used to go down to there to see them. So, you know, they, they were lucky because they had a, a big influence from them. Yeah, that's, that's very fortunate to be around first generation DNA and of course that crew, the original second to none incredible backing up let's talk about your sons boost chaos and shadow all of whom you trained i'm curious as to if there's any particular moves from you teaching your sons that you think have stayed and pushed them to expand their learning and decisions over the years of their practice so i don't think it's moves i just think it was like they would be good and they'd come up to me and say oh i done this i done i done like oh i i did like seven halos and I said well why couldn't you do eight I think that you know I, I pushed them not not like I don't think it was actual moves it was just you'd play one off against the other because they were all good like David was shadow was the most natural um chaos trained and, and boost had like more natural dance ability but as far as moves uh David shadow was by far and away the most natural, but trained the least. And yet he, he you know, he, he pulled off some absolutely incredible moves, but he trained the least out of all of them. So I, I think it was like not so much training as mentoring, if you know what oh, I mean. Absolutely. It's, 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 yeah, and, and playing one off against the other because Richard was so competitive and Boost, being the youngest, was like, at the start, they he, he wasn't really any good, uh, but he wanted to be. So to play him off against his older brothers, if you know what I mean, it, they just trained, and they did, they trained really hard, and then, and they became really good. Take me into the creation of the Welsh Open B-Boy Championships, having the idea and executing it to such a global effect. Amazing. Um, to be fair, it's, it, the first one wasn't our first jam. The first jam was in the in Pant Sides, in the Pant Club, where I was on about the first hip-hop I ever heard. That was the first jam we ever put on was in there and second and then came down to, to judge. So you had that Brock Addicts was there. Um and you know, and that was about it. Newbridge and Cardiff basically. Um they came, at Brock Addicts came, second and then came and judged. It was more of a thing for kids. You know, obviously like um Quam and Bryce and I was there. But they weren't. They were bringing the kids. They were teaching, if you know what I mean. It was more of a mm. to try and get the kids together, you know. And then um, the year after, we did one in Newbridge Leisure Centre where we had Banksy and I came from Swindon. 
Um, they, they were like a few more came from further afield then. And then we went on to do the Welsh Open, which we, we were lucky because we fell in really well with um, organisers and people within the council, Newport Council, were really, really good to us. And um, to be fair, Dave Phillips from Surek, the, you know, the Equalities in South Wales, South Wales Equalities Commission, they, they were brilliant. He did all our funding applications and that because they could see that it was, you know, there for everybody and the, mm. the different kids that would come. So that, it, it blew up. I don't know, it blew up because we had uh, an online argument between Dolby and Renegade. And they were both judging at the Welsh Champs. So that's how it got its reputation to start with. But it's having people behind the scenes in the council. Like the mayor was very good at the time. The council were very good. They, you know, we had the leisure centre for free. Newport Centre, which, you know, you're talking three, four thousand pounds via that for a day. But they give it to us for free because, mm. you know, we couldn't have done it otherwise. At the time, it Without Newport Council, we couldn't have done it. And all the other councils around. To be fit, do you know Tristan Wildcard? I don't. Well, he used to dance with Uprock Addicts. Um, ah. he, he did a lot towards it as well because he, we had to do workshops in schools to get funding off the councils to put into doing the Welsh Champs. And Tristan travelled... He used his car, he, you know, he travelled, he took my kids everywhere, he, you know. So he was, at the very, very start, he was one of the most influential actual B-boys in it, if you know what I mean. What year is that? The first one, uh, I can't remember. I genuinely, I haven't got a clip, I can't that remember. Is... I can't remember that the first one would have been, would have been, I can't remember. Was it two thousand? I ain't sure. I it's honestly can't really. remember. We did about ten. So no, so it might have been two thousand and one, two thousand and two. Mm. No, two thousand and four. I think it's two thousand and four. Was the first one in Newport Centre. And then we had, we had, we fell in lucky because we had the campsite. Income Khan, um, the Kafili Council let us have so many pitches. So we had tents and we could put people up. So you had like emphatic and that came from Ipswich um, and judged for free just because you had somewhere to stay. Um, you had deck one um, came from London uh, to DJ just because he, yeah, he, you know, because he had somewhere to stay and free food, they came and did it for free. You know, a lot of a lot of people did, did for free on in the first one. So, so the only reason it worked was because those people travelled, give their services for free, and the council gave us um, g gave us the venue and publicity. 
what was it about the Welsh champs that enabled you to always stand out among the other competitions at that time as such a singular and unique event? Because it was, it was very singular and unique. People came to this event far and wide, like you said. I think it was because we did it for different reasons. Other people were trying to make money off it. And because we set up as a not-for-profit organization, we didn't need to make money. We were going for funding. So it wasn't about making money for us. So mm. we kept the prices really cheap and the work workshops were free. So if you if you bought a ticket to go to the Welsh Champs, you could go to all the workshops for free. Which is I don't think anywhere else does that. So mm -hmm. I think it was it's just about the model we were running was a different thing compared to like any any other jam. We we weren't worried about we 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 weren't even worried about breaking even, if you know what I mean. So it didn't mm -hmm. really matter. Cause we we had funding streams coming in for other things that we spent on the Welsh champs. And above everything else, you did it for the love. It was for the art form, for the culture. Yeah, yeah, that's why we did the workshops. We always did the workshops and the and the talks. We had, we had talks where you had like the judges, the DJs, um, uh, uh, original from the Bronx Boys, and that they would be that's the right. and they gave talks and and like it was free entry if you had a a, a band. You know, you could go in. It was. You know, as long as you'd paid your £5 entry fee to the Welsh Champs, you could go to all of them. The same as when we did the hip-hop weekends with Jamie. If you paid to go, if you bought a band, you could go into all the clubs. And to be fair, what's his name? Um, oh, what's his name? You used to have all the clubs in, in Newport. Oh, mm. yeah. If he let us use all his clubs for free as well. So... We the after parties were always put on in clubs by except for the first one we had the higher higher one in and the old TJs. And oh yeah. That was the first after party, and then all the other ones were put on by Iffy for free. So you had free entry to his premises if you had a, a wristband. That's why we had to have different colour wristbands. You had to be over 18 to go to the after party, if you know what I mean. So Got it. Like restrictions on who could have the the ones like, but if you had a if you were over eighteen and you had a wristband, you could go for free, and if you had a competitor's one, you could eat for free in his um in his well, Delilah's um the noodle bar above, you know, he would give free food to any competitors. That's we were lucky. We just fell in at the right time with the right people. That's to be fair. That's how it. Everyone was working for the community and not for, not for themselves. You mentioned the words "right people." Do you have any favorite battles from that time capsule? And who were some of the breakers to come out, come out from those competitions and make history? They were still carrying a torch today. Um, I would say Sunny. I I liked watching him. I, you know, I, more when he was with the Scarecrows than when he went to London, if you know what I mean. I think he had more to him when he was with the Scarecrows, when he was with um, 
the Gloucester people than when he went to London. I think he, he became like commercialized after that. The same what was as, it about Sonny uh, that worked for you? Um, they were just, I just, I always liked the young, he was a youngster, youngster at the time. I always liked the youngsters, like B-Girl Terror. She, you know, come down on, on the bus with her, her mother and father, five years old, got up on stage at the Welsh Champs and danced. You know, that's what I used to like. It was mm. more the, the, the new starters, the youngsters, I were more, you know, Hmm. To be fair, when, when I started going back to jams, the majority of the actual B-boys were rubbish. You know, they, you had you had one or two exceptional people, but the majority of the 90s B-boys was rubbish, and they got on my nerves. I generally couldn't work out why these people like Farmer Giles and that had the name. I couldn't. And then you had people like Segard and then who were you know, they they wouldn't give the respect that was due. That's what I didn't like. You know, you had like three times world champions and they didn't get the respect they would do because I don't know why. I I can't I can't figure out why. And then you had the the people like Mouse. Mouse was good. When we used to go to the Stafford Jams and Mouse was good. If you know what I mean, but he was. He, he wasn't, he was, he didn't learn his b-boying in Britain. You could tell. So, I don't know, it's hard to, it's hard to explain. The majority of that era b-boys were not very good. And it used to bug me that they won competitions and just on name. That, that used to get on my nerves. When you know when my kids was little and you would go and you would see these people and they were no good at all, but they just had a name because they'd been going for five years, not because they was any good. That's that's what I used to get on my nerves back then. You know there was no quality there. They were scruffy. I hated scruffy breakers. You know you know what I mean when it's like they'd scrape their feet in their flares and so I can't stand it. It's like. To be fair, you didn't do a move until you could do it properly, but they they all did, and I couldn't work it out. I, you wouldn't throw a move down in a circle when I was dancing if you couldn't do it. You wouldn't train in a circle, but they did, and that's it used to get on my nerves. Is there a difference between being a good dancer and being a good competitive dancer? What are those differences, in your opinion? Um. Well, to be fair, most most b-boys don't dance nowadays when mm. when i was dancing you would do but you would also then go and dance to the funk and the soul and dance proper dance not i don't mean do like indian step and that i mean you would go and dance and you would dance they don't they didn't even dance with girls they just stand there and they just stand there and like I don't know, they don't dance. So a dancer doesn't a b-boy doesn't have to be a dancer, but to be really good competitive, you should be able to dance. And and I think that's mm. the difference between being a b-boy nowadays and a and a good competitive b-boy is they've got more more of the rhythm. 
because I, I, don't, I don't think it's the moves, because they can do the moves. The, the amount of moves they can do nowadays is unbelievable. But the, the difference between those that are good and those that are good at moves is that they can actually dance, if you know what I mean. Mm. They, they could go and dance, not to, like, not at a jam. They could go and dance at a funk night. And, and dance on the dance floor, not without throwing down. And I think that's the difference between someone who's really good nowadays and a good b-boy. The difference between being at the very, very top of the game. So what advice would you give breakers just starting out and finding their feet? No pun intended. Um, do it because you like it. That's you know, it. You've got to enjoy it. That's all it is. Is if you enjoy it, you can do whichever, whatever you want. You can be a powerhead. You can be a style person. You can do it. Just enjoy it, because it's all part of the scene. You couldn't, you know. I you got the Olympics coming up, and the way the way people are going on about the judging system. And I, I understand the difference with the judging system and it's going to be more for style than things, which is, to be fair, originally it was all about style. And then it went too too much to power. But you can be a powerhead if you enjoy it. Just do what you want. Do what you enjoy. That's all. That's all you can do. When and do you it, think that transition happened? It, when it went from... Style to power about eighty four eighty five, and it went just just all power and nothing else at the time. So you could go and you could throw down and you could have the best top rock and footwork and get nowhere because you didn't you couldn't do like you know nutcrackers or something like that. It, it would be you know. But then it was different in those days because crews had poppers as well. And it was, it wasn't just, you know, your crew wasn't just B-boys. It was everybody. It was all elements at the time. You'd have a DJ, you'd have a graph artist. You, they don't do that now, do they? It is only the dance element. Mm -hmm. So I think it, that, that bit got lost as well. Have you taken time to step back and realize the magnitude of what you've accomplished in the past four decades? Do you ever think about your legacy? No, I, I don't. I, I, to be fair, I think people who care about that is stupid. It's, it's, you know, I know who was there. I seen him. I saw Jaffa. I saw 40. I saw those people. So I know they were there. That's it. I was there, they seen me. You know, I didn't do nothing special. All I, all I did was I was lucky to meet up with the right people at the right time. Lucky I met Joel Fenton in 81, who, who was over here because he was a bad boy from the Bronx. You know what I mean? If I didn't meet him, I would probably gone into, I don't know, what was around at the time, New Romantics or something, you know? <laughs> but, but if I didn't meet him, I probably would have. Or, you know, especially being from the pant where, like, Visage came from, a lot of people were, just because a famous person came from the estate. Um, but we didn't. We, we, we found, we were lucky we found 
hip-hop. You know, lucky we met up with my cousin from Cumbran, who Carlton, who was into it as well. And, you know, so you had a, a natural friendship with a crew from another town because your cousin was in it. If you know what I mean, we just lucky in all elements. Mm. You know, we didn't do nothing special. We were just lucky that we could do do it at the time. Because nowadays, kids can't do that. You can't travel and go and do stuff like that. Now it's not safe. Mm. Like I took the kids, we took the kids up to not, um, Derby for, oh, what was it? We took the kids up to Derby for... Um, no, who was it? The the one who Mark Marco who used to run the UK B Boy Forum put a jam on up in Derby, and we went up there. And on the way up, you know, like you go up the motorway and Nottingham's on the one side and Derby's on the other, and you can hear gunshots going off in Nottingham. You didn't have that when I was a kid, so you know we went to we took the kids to the UK Champs. We had. Um, Luckily, the council gave us a minibus and we, we took the kids to the UK champs. And we went to McDonald's. We left McDonald's to go in um, Brixton to go to to the queue. And there was a drive-by shooting. You couldn't, you know, when we was kids, you didn't have that. Mm. So, so you could just travel. And I was lucky, like, luckily, my friend... Uh, Rich, his cousin came over, but when we went to London, his uncle was a clothes designer, Charlie Allen. So we used to mix with like um, loose ends and people like that. They they would just be around his factory, if you know what I mean. So we got to meet people, and we were just lucky that we were in the right place at the right time to see things. It's, it's like you're from a little village in South Wales, but you're lucky that things like that happened so I don't think I don't think there's any like legacy like my my legacy is like that the boys were so good at dancing themselves a boost is like amazing like boosts like on another level compared to the majority of people because he can actually dance as well whereas like like Richard had to he had to train train hard so chaos had to train really, really hard. But Boost got a natural rhythm. So he, he's like on a different level again to chaos, I think, personally. With you know, it's it's, yeah. it's that's my legacy is watching them you know, watching them dance or or watching videos of them dance nowadays because chaos and shadow don't do it. Only only all like watch my grandson. My grandson does it now. So he's six. He's he can he can throw he can throw down. You know he, his uncles are his heroes, and he's learning to dance. So Love there's it. another generation coming, and that's my legacy is them, my kids and my grandkids. That's it. There's no, you know, there's no. We we didn't do nothing special. People the people who did things special were the, the likes of um, Maya who won the um, Fastex World Champ. Fastex is it Fastex? The World Championship back in the day. You know that's 
in Wales. He was Welsh from Cumbran, became world champion. Wow. That's that's legacy. Yeah. Like, you know, people like Andre who, who got Maskell's going, which people still talk about. What's it? Forty years later. You know, it's, it's that's legacy. We put on a couple of jams. You know, that when was you it. think about the last 40 years of breaking history in Wales and your contribution specifically, do you have a favourite memory? Oh. Um, All memories. Of, of seeing Ivan. I thought Ivan was incredible. Not, not at the Welsh Champs, in the hotel. Mm. Seeing yeah, Ivan, Ivan at the hotel behind the scenes he was incredible and inspirational to the kids yeah you know that that's it's things like that like um watching track two talking to a woman whose son um died of an overdose and and talking to her just in newport city center not nothing to do with the dancing they was the things the memories i got is like how such a nice person could could Travel over from New York and and give this woman a bit of love that she didn't seem to be getting from anywhere else. To be fair, I, like I say, I was lucky, you know, <clears throat> lucky to be in the right place at the right time and meet the right people, you know. I, and you loved it anyway. Yeah, like I say, you you lived it, you loved it, and and then like you could give back a bit. That was it. He's the son of a first-generation breaker, but there's more to his story whose breaking crew became like a second family and helped him develop his own style and creative expression. Up next, Tommy Boost. Okay, so my name is Tommy Boost. My real name is Thomas Davis, but I've gone by Tommy Boost since I've started breaking. Boost was my original, actually it wasn't my original. My original breaking name was Tommy Boy after the record label. And then it got changed to Tommy Boost by my first crew. And well, it got changed to Boost and then Boost stuck. It was B-Boy Boost for a while. And then I, I wanted to drop the B-Boy because in the dance industry, if you're called B-Boy, they only expect you to be able to do one thing. So I dropped the B-Boy and called myself Tommy Boost. That was more for the commercial side of it later on. And yeah, I've been breaking for around 20 years now. I started with my two brothers, B-Boy Chaos and B-Boy Shadow, and my father, who's CLD, Crazy LD from Newbridge Crew, also called Electric Footwork, was the original name for them. But they're always known by Newbridge Crew because of the area they're from, same area I'm from and my brothers. Um, Yeah, my earliest memories of breaking was going to see DAJ from Electric Footwork Crew again, also second to none. Um go into his garage we would train probably once or twice a week at that point it started just 
me and my brothers and my dad would go there to see Darren because he moved back to the area. This is really early 2000s, like 2001, 2002. Then we would start training more moves. Other people wanted to get involved from our school, our friends. So more people wanted to go to Darren's garage to try and break in. And then outside of the garage, more people was training. Like we started training every day. Like it was the eighties. We trained on concrete. We trained on cardboard. We trained every day just to break. And at that point, our friends were joining in and then their friends were joining in outside of the friend group until like 60 to 100 kids in the Newbridge area was training breaking. And then it moved from Darren's Garage to Newbridge Leisure Centre for a weekly meetup of all of these kids. Um, when I say kids, I mean from like as young as eight up to 18 was the group there as well as you had people coming down from Cardiff you'd have people from Swansea coming down Bristol would come down second to none from Portsmouth would come over and that would be like a, a weekly session people were making different crews in Newbridge so Newbridge is a tiny town like 300 houses but there was three crews in my time when I started there was three crews there and then when we started going down to Cardiff the Newbridge crews like all merged into one like some people quit with breaking most people quit like really fast because they realized that when it takes you a year to three years to get a move some people haven't got the patience to do a year before they get one one move and then do another three years before they get five moves um so a lot of people were dropping out that 60 turned into about 12 and that was that was makings of h2o crew um h2o was really based in newbridge originally it was started with uh molly beecham mark allen me my two brothers and i would say barry and nikki this is before people had our breaking names this is like right at the start right and then we would go to Cate's to train so all of the people from Newbridge we would go down to train in Cate's with Uprock Addicts at the time as well as whoever else would be there because Cate's was also one of those spots that people would come in from different cities to check out so we would be there and then they held the Welsh Regional for the UK Champs I think it was called Battle of Britain before it was called UK Champs. It was a British thing. Right. Um, the regional was held there. We ended as H2O there against Uprock Addicts. I don't, I don't remember the other crews, but I'm sure there was two rounds or, or three before it got to that final. And 
DHA was entered with Hot Rocket Addicts at the time. And H2O, we won. And we went to the, the Battle of Britain, that final, to represent Wales. And then at that time was when DHA joined H2O. And then Haley wasn't breaking at that time. We went up to Wolverhampton or, or Derby. It was really far north. Um, and we represented Wales up there. And when we came out of Wales, like the first time, we'd only ever seen, we'd only be, been influenced by 80s break and we'd only ever seen Beat Street, Wild Style, The Freshest Kids. We we never had any modern influence. So the moves we were doing were 80s moves, but 80s moves trained for a while. So at that time, DAJ had been breaking throughout the 80s, as well as my dad. DAJ broke in the 90s as well. So he had mastered some some of the 80s moves past the point that, that was 80s, but he his original style stayed that 80s breaking style. So we we took influence from DAJ and my dad and all those 80s videos. So we would try and get hold as much 80s footage as we could because we only knew breaking from the 80s. We didn't actually think it existed in the world other than us doing a throwback to the 80s at that time. Yeah, and then when we went to the Battle of Britain and we represented, all of us were pulling moves off that people hadn't seen for 30 years because breaking changed with fashion. It went from doing the power moves and the spin moves in the 80s to the 90s was about um, the, the power moves dropped and it was more either routines in america or in europe they kept the power move style but britain was separated from europe so britain went into doing right at the peak of 2000 they were doing the handstand styles they were doing the threads they were doing the freeze combos and they they didn't really have any power moves at that time so when we came out H2O, it kind of blew the UK scene out of the water in that one aspect. But then that was the first time we saw other aspects of breaking. We saw what modern breaking was, top rocking more, footworking more, using freezes and musicality because the evolution of breaking from the 80s where it was only about the moves, it evolved to become a dance form and then in 2000, 2010, um, a thing called the brand new old school became popular because in America, you had crews like Skill Methods and Renegades coming back, showing this brand new new school. They was doing old, old school moves, but in the new school way where they would have the style and the freezes of the time as well. So we, coming from that 80s, like... I would call it upbringing, even though we weren't alive, most of us in the 80s. Coming from that 80s style, we took to the brand new brand new old school really well as we had those moves and we knew how to have that power in those moves because for us, they're called power moves, but uh, then there's a thing where you do power inside of your moves, like you're actually powerful, you have a lot of speed 
you have a lot of dynamics like to do a move wasn't good enough in our crew so you had to do it really well before you could showcase that move on the stage so every time we came out it was always extremely powerful extremely dynamic and then we we embraced that that brand new style of adding musicality into it adding footwork top rock drops blow-ups flips and then we came back from that that first showcase of what breaking can be in the modern world and we wanted to catch up to that as well as keep what we had so wales was always known for the power in this era and then h2o reformed adding hailing hailstorm flips and foxy freeze so hailstorm is darren's wife Foxy Freeze is Haley's brother. Those two came in. Um, Haley would be around the practice anyway, so she already had some moves, but she she joined the crew. Um, at this time, B girls weren't very popular in the UK. There was Firefly and La. And that was about it. Most crews didn't really want the girls in, in their crew. They would train with them, but they didn't let them into the crew. But coming from the 80s upbringing again, in the 80s, it was like you had a B-girl in your crew, you had a popper in your crew. So now that's like outlawed to have a popper in your crew. But we we had a popper in our crew. Yeah. Which I think is good to to have that original aspect of what hip hop is when everything was together. Now it's like split into popping only, breaking only. Even locking would be in the eighties with it. So we we kept that original like essence of what a crew is, as well as we wasn't manufactured. We all knew each other. We were all friends. We were in the crew for the reason of of that. Um. Then from there, you go UK champs, Welsh champs. These, within two, three years, these are the international competitions. Like, and H2O would always be representing Wales at this time. Then Flips and Haley, I was I was still too young to be traveling because jams at this time were entered usually in clubs. So I would have to sneak in age 14 to clubs that are over 18 only to do battles. My two brothers, one's two years older than me, one's three. So they would they were just about two in that. So they were going off entering two on twos. Foxy Freeze and Flips would enter as two on two. David and Richard would enter as a two on two. I would enter with Haley at the time because I would I would barely be getting in to these competitions unless we won a qualifier, which was my invite in to these clubs because I've qualified to be there. And then Haley, Flips, Richard and David, they they built the name in the two on two scene as well as the crew battles. 
So H2O has become a very popular, not just in Wales, but straight away into the UK. We was battling people like Afro Jazz from France. Um, there was, um, what's the Spanish crew? Literally, I know these people's real names, but I don't know their crew name. Arcupon, yeah. So these are international names and H2O within three years were battling up there on that international stage. From there, um, we did like three years of these international levels and then H2O kind of ended because DAJ would, DAJ moved to Kefili, which was away from Newbridge where we were living at the time. Mm. And we, we had that original H2O. So Marley, Beecham, these guys were still training with us, but they wasn't entering those, those battles so much. So when DAJ moved, we, we made Unique Methods crew, which changed from being a Welsh crew to a Welsh-based UK crew. So we added Chuck from, he's known from Got to Dance, but he's from Manchester. And then we got Kane Silver and Kyle. Um, these two are international street dancers, like mixed style street dance. They do a bit of breaking, they do a bit of hip hop, they do a bit of these, but these were backing dancers for um, like Nicole Scherzinger, which at the time was the biggest gig you could get. Um, we had these guys joined us and we we then made Unique Methods crew, which had this brand new old school aspect, but also we, we went UK wide in order to bring in the routines, which which again was a thing we didn't have because we was all soloists learning these moves. We never had mm. the the routine aspect of breaking. And having these people who are such good at street, such good at shows, such good performers, we we added that performance into throwing into power, into flips, into blow-ups. And then unique methods became that crew instead of H2O, which was representing Wales. We would represent Wales, even though a few of our members were were international, but that's that's how I remember Unique Methods crew. Then we did a, a H2O reformed where DAJ and Haley Foxy came back. We We all got back together. But quickly flips from the crew, Lee, he moved to London for university. So Lee had joined Soul Mavericks at the time, which at the time had a rivalry with H2O, Unique Methods, had a rivalry with Wales because Wales versus London was a big competition battle at the time. And then he ended up joining that crew that we had the rivalry with, which which is cool. Like now when I, when I see it, it's really cool. Like that's the best thing for him. But at the time having this rivalry, it was a really weird time to have your crewmate go into the rival crew, kind of some step up situation, which I can imagine. 
it's really crazy. But then 40 organized London versus Wales battle at the Globe. And Lee came down with that crew and we had this massive exhibition. We didn't want to do it in competition. This was the first time we battled them when Lee was in their team. So it was a, it was a big exhibition for just that battle. Um, 40 put that on. Shout out 40. Um, it wasn't a judge battle. It was more how breaking originally was. It was more who thinks they won one. And if the other people think they lost, they lost. It was more for the respect side rather than for the modern competition is for money. It is for the prize. It's for the name. But at that time, coming from, not, not coming from, but uh, representing that 80s kind of breaking and mentality of crew, that's that's how we did it. Um, the battle's online. It's called H2O versus Rags. It's one of the best battles that H2O and Wales at the time had been in, especially some of the members that dropped out of breaking after H2O. It was their best battles. Um, I had a broken leg in that battle. I was in crutches. I had the leg cast, full leg cast. But for that battle, I was supposed to wait for another... I don't know, like four to six months. For that battle, I took that leg cast off just to battle because of that rivalry. But these are the, the stupid things you do when you're young, just for breaking. Because you love it, you have to you have to do it. Um H2O did the same thing again. H2O went more internationally then, started traveling, Switzerland, um, Netherlands, France, started going. We would be entering the, the big international jams when they're hosted in UK, but then we started going to these jams outside of the UK. UK was more of a hub at that point because UK Champs was at its most famous that all of the crews internationally would come to Wales, um, not Wales, come to UK to battle London, Birmingham, Manchester. And then Welsh Champs was so big that that was, that was attracting the biggest names in the world to battle in Newport. So after that time, H2O was like, okay, we're going to go there as well. So again, with the 80s mentality, that original Freshers Kids, where Crazy Legs are talking about going to different cities to battle other people on their turf, we had that same mentality. So we would turn up to people's training grounds and just instead of training, we would just battle them for the whole like two hours or three hours. Um, we did that in... UK a lot we would just randomly turn up to spots we would turn up to physical jerk spots we would turn up to um Swindon crew not scarecrows but the what scarecrows turned into PRS crew right we would we would just turn up to people's sessions where they're just having fun and training we just battle them for two hours straight and leave um but then we started doing that internationally and then entering the competitions while we we're there as well where DAJ at the time was the oldest of our members. We were all, I don't know, like I was the youngest at around 14, 15, and DAJ was in his 30s. So DAJ built this reputation as uh, judging and breaking as well. So he was also internationally judging competitions. Hailstorm was 
training with all of the guys. So she hadn't been influenced by B-girl mentality where girls were supposed to be different to boys. At the time, all of us were training together. So Haley would train the same as the guys where you don't have that move until you have it like on point. So when Haley came out as a B-girl doing the moves that the guys were doing, at her time, nobody was doing that. Like it was accepted that girls could be worse, which I I never got, I still don't get. But when Haley came out and she was doing the, the stuff that the guys do, on the B-girl scene, Haley was exploding internationally. So in all these different areas, it was just going off. Crew battles were great. Um, at, H, at H2O time, me personally, I was in the crew battles. I was in the two-on-twos. I wasn't doing solos. I was entering Welsh champs. I qualified for Wales so many times for the last man stand in the main event. Um, I came second three times. Never won, will not win. It's over now, but yeah, I'll accept second place. B-Boy Chaos and H2O actually invented the competition format. He wrote the rule book and that competition format is a worldwide format of breaking now. So normally there's the solos 1v1s, just single bracket system all the way up to a winner. And then the last man standing is all of the, the qualified entrants are on stage at the same time between 11 to 15 people and you have three losses and you can call anyone out but his winner stays on winner calls out who they face next and you have to just be the last man standing you have to either not lose before you lose your three losses and you're completely out or you can also win it was an added way of winning was the person who won the most i can't remember the name for it it's in the rule book um like the cypher king sort of thing but it's in that competition whoever knocks out the most people they win that prize and then the overall winner wins the the actual last man standing itself so the difference between last man standing and breaking competitions is you have to be strategic in who you call out and you have to also be strategic in when you take a rest in order to have energy to try and stay in as long as you can to get to right. the end. So it's it's more of a strategy as well as you have to be able to do 100 rounds. So it's you have to be good at breaking. You have to have the stamina to be beating everyone. And you have to have the strategy right. to know when to win. So it became one of the hardest competitions to, to win. Um. Flips from H2O, he he won it the first time. Haley from H2O came second in one of them. My brother Shadow came third once, but uh, he also had one of those uh, those viral highlight moments. So the round he did in the competition, he came third. He faced Hat Solo and at the time was one of the biggest people in the whole world. And he he did a combo so good and on beat that Hat Solo just 
withdrew his round and just accepted the loss without even trying to beat it. And it was just one of those those like single rounds, like single 30 seconds of greatness that only happened once ever. Um, yeah, that happened in Last Man Standing. Probably one of the best rounds I've ever seen in my life. The same for why it went so viral at the time and why one of the best people in the world just withdrew because it's unbeatable. Um, yeah, check that out. That was probably Last Man Stand in 2007, 2008. Either one of those. It's on YouTube. Nice. One of the best rounds that you'll see of breaking. Um, and then H2O was, was gone after after that time um that was because DAJ was pushing 40 and now I'm getting to that age I'm not 40 yet I'm a few years off but the longer you sustain breaking at a high level the more damage your body becomes and it the more difficult breaking becomes so you can be doing power moves like you were 18 anymore and then some most people do breaking for like five years and their body's done but if you do it for 10 years if you do it for 20 years at a low level that's fine but when you're hitting the highest level moves your wrists become damaged from doing too many flares your your turtle is while it twists it over twists your wrist and you start developing bone calluses um you start getting bad knees your ankles don't work you're getting arthritis at the in your 20s so when you're 40 it's much worse so shout out to all of wales's breakers like qualm the longevity daj 40 never stopped 40 never stopped all the way through like most most people they stopped at the end of the 80s, then they came back in the 90s, then they came back in the 2000s, but 40 did it all the way through. Like, shout out to 40, never stopping. That, that's that's some that's harder than doing the hard moves when you when your body's good. So then keep going. After that, like, I'm starting to feel that now, so I have to be very careful always with my breaking in order to continue to do it. Um, so DAG stopped. When he hit that age, H2O disbanded. And there was there was a few years between that. So Cardiff City Kings was coming up as one of those UK, like, not big competitions, but popular in the sense of keeping the culture. People would come to jam. People would travel from the whole of, from the whole of UK as well as internationally, because they know that Jam had that energy, had the real music playing, had it would just go off every single time. So people would know about this jam. It was it was small in the sense of it was in Kate's um youth club. So it only holds a few hundred and it would always be sold out. The pe people waiting to get in, but you can't let them in because of capacity. It was one of those jams that it was hard to even have it all in that room, but it would always go off. So H-Show had disbanded. Cardiff City Kings was a thing. And we still wanted to enter. So me, Rich, and David, we would enter as 
um, electric footwork crew as a throwback to our dad's crew as DAJ's original crew as that Newbridge crew because we were from Newbridge we wasn't representing Wales anymore the H2O thing had disbanded so we would represent right back to the roots right back to Newbridge again and we would go with the original 80s name electric footwork we did that for two years DAJ was teaching Blitz Boys from Newport at the time. So shout out all of the Blitz Boys because at the time they didn't have the longevity, but they did they did put into the culture at the time. So they put in their years, they got they got good fast through the help of having teachers and coaches. Like I would now for modern breaking, I would suggest teachers and coaches are definitely the way to go if you want to be a good breaker learn off somebody who's put in the app like put, learn off someone who's did the injury time like to learn a move you get injured a hundred times before you get it but that person when they teach you they're going to teach you right to the way of doing it right right at the start so it's like skip all of the injuries right. learn off that person What was it like growing up with the first generation Welsh breaking DNA in you? Give me a sense of what that practice was like during those foundational days. And what was it that you learned from your dad and your brothers in the beginning? Because we're talking about a pretty dense history. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So at that time, I, my brothers took to it straight away. They, they wanted it the most they would practice all day every day they would they were older than me i wasn't ready for breaking when i started breaking so for me the start i started like halfway in the middle of those h2o years so for me i was too young to understand what it was like i grew up with hip-hop not just when i started breaking i was listening to hip-hop since birth my dad would be playing it all the way through so i i when i started breaking i had that musicality instantly like i i would be top rocking on beat when that weren't even a thing i would be doing footwork to the beat rather than just running the motions of footwork like people still now they do footwork step by step but they don't realize that you can also dance whilst on the floor it's not just a running around yourself movement. You can still hit beats down there. You can still listen and hit the, you can hit the horns, you can hit the stabs. You can. So when I grew up with hip hop in me, I would always have that music thing first. But then at the age where I could actually understand what it was when my dad, when my brothers, when Darren was doing these moves, when I could actually be like, okay, that's how they do it. That's how to work out the formulas of how to put these moves together. It is all technique. It is breaking is not a strength thing. You gain strength from it, but it's not a thing you need to be strong. So once I was like two years down the line, I wasn't learning power right at the start, which is, which is weird for most, breakers because most people start they see a windmill they want a windmill they don't want to do top broken footwork but 
for me it was starting with with the dance first and then I hit like 13 14 and I started being like okay now I want the moves whereas my brothers did it the other way around they they started with the moves first which we had those mentors we had that influence we saw we saw breaking at peak level from the 80s as like the first thing we ever saw we didn't see half a windmill on a music video we saw somebody doing like 20 right in front of us with perfect form great technique we that was our influence the same as if you box tick every box tick every move between the influences we had when we were when we were so young all of our the older generation my dad DAJ they could do all of the moves between them so if we wanted a move we apart from air power which came out which came out much later they could do all of the the ground power moves so jackhammers if i wanted to see jackhammers i just asked my dad what's how do you do a jackhammer he would literally show me and then he would also be able to do the harder versions of that like jackhammer on the fist or transitioning between a jackhammer so a jackhammer is a hand spin while bouncing so you're jumping on one arm while spinning 360 every single time if i want to learn that move he could do it he could show me if i want to say how do you do a baby mill he could do it straight away how do you do a halo dag had it down how do you do a windmill there's different techniques of even just a move there's different techniques of them so daj had the koryaki mill which is the most famous one from beat street he had that down he could do it better than beat street like when we started he could do every single time like perfect technique so handcuff mills every type of move back spins we started with this access to those moves but only the 80s ones when it came to air power i started learning air power as darren and my dad were trying to do air power so they had also seen the modern break and they, they've seen what an air flare is they've seen what a 90 is these things didn't really exist back in the 80s or even 90s they came out right on the 2000s like like three years before me and my brother started breaking and they were trying to learn that so that was the only move that we we didn't have of the power moves obviously right. top broken footwork is infinite but uh, of the power moves those were the only moves that no one had but also there was no video there was no youtube there was no dvds of these right. of, of these moves so the only time we'd ever see it when we go to these world championships to watch it we'd see a guy do it once but this move takes half a second to do so you'd go there you'd see a guy do it for half a second and then you have to remember what that half a second was for the next year whilst practicing what you thought he did for like a whole year um yeah so it took three years of seeing an airflow i don't know like less than a handful of times like less than four times i saw somebody do an airflow in person and there was no dvds of it or no footage or no youtube and it took three years it took about 10 dislocated shoulders before i learned that airflow so in h2o i was the first one to get the air power to like 
go from the ground power to the air. Um, yeah. Um, there's only been like me, Ricky G, Chaos, who's had continuous airflows from Wales. Nice. I got the record. Shout out myself. <laughs> yeah. I still got that Welsh record, 25. No one's going to beat it. Not even me. I can't even get close now, but yeah. I, I was wondering, how much does traveling play a part in your journey and influences? Um, so in my dance career, I've traveled the whole world something like 50-something countries. There's only 260 in the world, like one-fifth of the world. But I think there's there's places which influence you. I think there's two ways I can go in this question. So the first thing I would say when it comes to traveling and hip-hop and everything about that, I'll say this quickly, is of all the competitions I've entered in the world or all of the shows I've did in the world in hip-hop culture, I don't remember those shows. I don't remember those battles. I don't remember if I won or lost. I have trophies that say I did, but I don't remember that. I remember who was with me. I remember the the bus journey there to the airport. I remember that flight. I remember the, the jokes that happened in hotel rooms. I remember the after parties. I don't actually remember what happened at these events that were the big reason that I went there. So the same with every everyone. I remember the people I was rivals with at every jam, but I don't remember the jam. So that's the nicest thing that I can take away from hip hop and traveling is I remember the moments I had with the people rather than the moments I was supposed to have at this big, huge event. Um, but then back to learning from traveling, I think... When I went to Korea and I trained in Korea, I popped across to Japan. I went with Bebo Shadow in Illumination time. I think that time, there was other Illumination members who went. So shout out Sophie. And then we also had the Cardiff Breakers University Society. So that was Cubs. This is the longest running society for Cardiff University was the Breakdown Society. It ran for 15 years and then it ended. But that was the longest running society they had. Um, there was members from the Cubs who went. So shout out Daniela from Czech Republic. Shout out Sophie Lodge. Tammy from China. So this was an international group doing this trip. But those, that month or two in Asia, when I came back, my dance style had completely changed because of the methodical training that they use in Asia, as well as being at the place where I knew all of the best breakers were and we would go and meet them and we would train with them. I think when I came back from there, my my level personally had increased through inspiration as well as learning different techniques. So in in Korea, where they are the best in the world, even still, they can't actually do the moves. So if I say to somebody who on a video does a combination of moves where they do an airflow in the middle of their combo, if I ask that guy, can he do airflows? He says, no, he can only do the one that he needed for that combo because they make they make every, every set for their battle 
they make it as choreography so if they only need one airflow they only learn one airflow they don't need to learn to do 20 because you're only going to use three the same with every other move they couldn't do halos but they could do the single one in that combo so i learned a lot from that because i could do so many moves that i wasn't using because the 80 style of breaking was if you were the best at the move in your crew you do that move or the group of moves that you were the best at so all of us at the time had different moves that we were great at but we never implemented all those other moves that we could use so then when i came back instead of having like five moves i had like 30 moves because wow. i would be using these moves that i i thought i shouldn't be using just because i saw that if they were in my crew those people who were the best in the world they wouldn't they wouldn't get to have a go at all because they weren't the best at any of them but they could do everything so i changed the mindset of okay you don't have to be the best at it in order to do it you have to be you have to be able to do it and then you can showcase that but i added on top of that that you have to be able to do it good in order to showcase it so i took that 80s mentality and I took that Asian mentality and I mixed them together so what I could do was just so much more but I had to get the moves and showcase and I had to get them to a standard um the same as places like uh, hip-hop wise Netherlands for Europe Netherlands is the place to be for hip-hop that could be for music that could be for rap that could be for DJing, that could be for breaking. For me, from what I've seen in all of these cities, these hip hop parties happen. Like the breaking is a side piece to that. It is part of the culture. So breaking is only one aspect, but you see everything. I think Netherlands is the place. Like Netherlands grow it as a culture, as that collective together, the best. So if if I was saying to stay in Europe, if you want to just travel, it's not the most expensive place in the world, luckily, to get to. Go to Netherlands, go to Amsterdam, go to Rotterdam, go up north to Den Haag. Um, there's there's a few other cities. There's cities which are like art cities. that They are tourist cities like Harlem. These cities exist to host festivals for different art forms. They host hip-hop only festivals for the whole city. There's like 100,000 people that are just doing hip-hop all, all week, all month. And then you've got places like um, Hip-Hop Center in Den Haag. So they are a 24-7 organization that teach rap, that teach DJing, that have dance studios for breaking. They host festivals. They they nurture it from grassroots level in every aspect of hip hop, beatboxing included, all the way up to on the stage, on the stage, either as backing dancer, either as movie stars, either as musicians. They they nurture it there from grassroots all the way up. And they got the the business in place to make that happen. So I would suggest if you want to learn more about hip-hop as well as the collective as well as your individual styles if you only like one area that's cool but go go there or go to netherlands and and learn that's like uh european 
hub, I would say. There's there's other cities. There's some great cities um, right. in Germany. There's Nuremberg. They they're very good, but but always I would say Netherlands is the one place. What about Wales? What does the future of breaking in Wales look like? Where is it going in your opinion? Okay, so Wales have a few new generation people that are of the highest level. So McLean, Kai. Um, McLean hosts his crew. So it's a UK-wide crew, but it's hosted through McLean, who is Welsh mid-Wales. I taught McLean since he was eight. He's now 18, now 10 years in the game. Um, he's probably the number one over 18s breaker in the UK. Then you've got Jet, who lives on the border. He lives Hereford, which is arguably Wales, England. But I used to work there back and forth, so I just count it as Wales because it's on that line. Um, yeah, Jet, under 16s, best in, best in the UK. So Kai is taught by McLean now. So Kai's been taught by every breaker in Wales. He's got influence of everyone, which is great. He put in the hard work. And I would say in the last three years, it's paying off a lot. I teach a lot in Wales. I teach currently with DJXL. We're doing a hip hop culture class that explains the history of hip hop through DJing and breaking. And we we mention the other elements, but we don't go into detail as, as much because we want people to, we want rappers to teach rap, we want beatboxers to teach beatboxing, we want graffiti artists to teach graffiti artists. We can we can link them, we can shout them out, we can say if you want to do this. So we we do that, and we teach history from when it started all the way up to what it is now, as well as physically like have a go you can have a go on the decks you can have a go at breaking um it's amazing to be linked with dj excel the skill that he has on the decks like the fact he's invented scratches that are used worldwide like that's that's inspiration to me um we're teaching that Every school in four counties in Wales currently, it's every single day of the school term. We've just extended into Cardiff now, so it's another huge county. There's another, I don't know, there's a hundred something schools in that one alone, and we're doing five of them. So it's like 500 schools we're, we're currently touring between. We're trying to add more to it, but in order to add more to it, we need to do less in each school. So currently we teach a whole day, a whole two days in each school, and it's going to take a year. But if we do one day, we can hit double the amount of schools. If we do half a day twice, we can hit four times the amount of schools. We're trying to get that part of it in place now because we want the reach. We want to go. We don't want to just teach there and leave. We want to be teaching there. We want to point them in the direction of where they can go in order to get more. Like. I I did a lockdown teaching break-in. I released, I don't know, like 30 one-hour videos of how to do every move from the start of Top Rock to drops to footwork 
to musicality, to power moves, to transitions between every single move. There's hours and hours of footage there just from me, but then I'm also directing them to other sources 